welcome to Sports Chat Radio. Hello and welcome to Sports Chat Radio for this October 14 episode. This is for you guys. We've got the radio, we've got the biggest chat in sports right now. We're going to have a really in-depth discussion about a number of issues surrounding the rugby league landscape, the Aussie rules, the AFL landscape, but also a little bit of NFL player-issued um, analysis. We're going to have a look at a lot of that sort of stuff. But this is this is a radio. I mean, it is the biggest chat in the nation right now, but it's also worldwide. This is the Sports Chat Radio. This is the radio. We are recording. We are on right now. Let's join the conversation now. If you want to find any in-depth information, content, articles, in-depth opinion pieces, a number of other content, plus all newly updated and the full catalogue of podcast episodes, you can find all that on junehendersonjourno.com. You'll find everything there. It's an amazing site that, that really enables readers to find everything they need. Listen to the podcast, have a read through a few articles, everything there, all things sports. That's what you want to see, junehendersonjourno.com. We're going to get into this bad boy. We're going to have a look at this sort of stuff. We've got the radio. We're live right now. And we're going to we're going to go straight into some really key issues surrounding the sporting landscape at the moment. Some real divisive, contentious issues. Um, and firstly, we're going to really go into detail on an AFL team that has been underperforming for years. I mean, decades. I mean, 51 years, and that's a St Kilda Saints, the team out of Moorabbin, the team that hasn't won a grand final since 1966 with a win over the Collingwood Football Club so many years ago. They are now the AFL's longest active grand final winning drought holder with the Melbourne Demons um, breaking the historic drought in 2021 and making the Saints um, hold the most ugly and really ill-fated accolade in sports, the 51-year drought, and the Melbourne Demons are out of that now, and the Saints have got pressure on pressure on them. I'm going to go in-depth in, on, on the Saints. I'm going to go in on the Saints and just have a real look into why this is happening and why they have been really so bad for so long. Um, if you look at the Saints, they've had a, they had a really good period between... 2004, 2004, and I think 2011. I reckon I'd give it there. Um, they had Grant Thomas in there for a little bit, but then it was Ross Lyon that drove a really successful period for the club. Back-to-back grand final appearances, back-to-back close losses, um, one against the Cats in 2009 and then the Pies in 2010. Obviously, the draw um, was really pivotal um, there, and the Saints were really good in that period. Ross Lyon drove a really strong standard. They had huge front office and facility issues at Moorabbin. They had offices with, you know, really bad air conditioning, really bad facilities. You had a door that opened up to a 10-foot drop. You had that sort of stuff that was riddled through the Saints organisation. They didn't have any money. They They weren't able to attract youthful sponsorship, sponsorship that was able to attract the certain players they needed. But in that period, Ross Lyon was able to attract players that were drafted to the club and became really good. You know, guys that bought in. These guys are full-time footballers. They are footy, footy, footy. They are destined to play footy. You know, just to name a few, you've got obviously the captain, Nick Raywell, the star centre forward, one of the best of all time. 
um, the huge running capacity and goal-kicking prowess of Nick Rewalt. Um, he drove the standard. you got guys like Justin Kaczynski, another good forward, Lee Montagna, you know, midfielder, halfback, Nick Dalsano, Brendan Goddard, Stephen Milne. Those guys were really pivotal to that period of success. Um, you've even got a guy uh, like, like Jason Graham, Stripper Graham, who um, was someone who was in that crop and was able to really drive the standard that Ross Lyon preached, um, even though the facilities and the club was in such disarray. Their on-field successes were really good. They just couldn't get that one. They couldn't get over that hump. And um, mind you, in that period, there were a lot of clubs enjoying football. You know, the Cats were very prolific. You know, they won premierships. They were really, really good. Really, really good in that period. The, the, the Collingwood Football Club was very strong. The Hawthorne Hawks was very strong in that period. Really, some teams that were really enjoying football during that period, Sydney Swans were coming through. So in that period, football was being played at a very high level. Very, very high level. And I think that the Saints were probably a bit of a victim of circumstance because they were playing teams that were just ruthless. Strong, pressure sides. They were tackling hard, putting a lot of pressure on the ball carrier, particularly teams like Collingwood and Geelong. They were harassed. They were angry. They wanted to win. And it was pivotal that the Saints had a team that could go with those guys, and they did. They should have probably won in 2010, extra time, if they didn't have to come back the week after, I think they win the Saints. I mean, they made the pies and snapped the drought, but they didn't, and now they've really, really got a lot of pressure on their organisation and the current proper players. If you look at the, the problem with the Saints, you've got to first look at the money in facilities, because money in facilities runs football clubs. The money wasn't there. They weren't able to attract promising sponsorship. It didn't happen. Their football department had peanuts in it. They weren't able to go and find that player. They weren't able to go find a Lance Franklin. They weren't able to go and find a Dane Swan. They weren't able to go find a Joel Selwood and throw some cash at them. No, that didn't happen. They didn't have the football budget for it. And then to go along with that, they had a really poor training noble. Their training ground at Moorabbin Oval was terrible. Um, wasn't up to scratch, wasn't an AFL level um, ground, it was probably a VFL, it was a reserve grade level ground. They didn't have the money to really attract players, really. They didn't have that to join to join the Seaside Club. I mean, the attraction to being in St Kilda is high, but the club itself wasn't in a position to attract useful sponsorship, which would then allow uh, AFL footballs around the league coming out of contract or seeking a trade to come to the Saints. It didn't happen. Now, the club is um, has really historically been a club that's been in the bottom five of AFL teams when it comes to revenue brought in. They really don't have the revenue and the cap to really make a difference. For instance, in 2017, the Collingwood Football Club made double the amount of profit, double the amount of profit than the Saints in that year. Now, that's a huge divide against competitors that are supposed to be on the equal level and are on equal pegging. You know, they have the same salary cap, but the Saints were falling so short of that of that marker, of that salary cap line, that they weren't able to compete. And teams like Collingwood doubled them and was, were able to, to, to rent the, the rewards you know, you think, think about the Pies, the Olympic Park rebuild, their ability to attract players. 
So if you look at that though, the Saints being so good during those periods, 04 to 2011, it was really credit to the to the coaching, to the players buying in, because they were able to be really, really competitive and be in the top echelon of AFL teams with no facilities and a football department budget to be laughed at, really. So that's impressive, and I think they've got to get a lot of props for that. Now, if you look at the revenue targets that have been missed for years and years and years, I'm talking decades right now, you know, it points to ill management. It points to the top dogs, head honchos at the Saints not having the skills and or the knowledge to be able to drive a team forward when it comes to the business side of things. And I think that's 100% correct. But they're really, the problem also with the management is they just haven't been able to find the right leadership structure when it comes to board level. They haven't been able to find people that um, have a strong business background that are able to drive the Saints commercially into a new era, out of the darkness and the, the, the peanuts that were being made before that. They haven't been able to find that. You know, right now they're probably at a, at, at a peak stage. You know, they have, um, you know, Reese and those sort of sponsorships coming through. And, the, you know, the tide's slowly turning, but, it, but it's too far gone when it comes to cashing in on a period where the club had players that were, you know, outstanding um, when it came to uh, the when it came to the ability to play the game at the highest level with the ill management and the backing of poor facilities. So doing that is really, really important. And the Saints got to deserve credit there. You know, the, the corporate structure hasn't been able to appeal to a wider business audience. And that's on them. You know, the players go and play. They don't, they don't run the club. And it's really on the Saints. And you've got to put it on them. Put on it on them. The Saints have been managed poorly for many, many years, and they really need to change this if they're going to have success on the football field. You know, right now, the ability to be fruitful has also been at a cost of their geographical area. You know, St Kilda itself's a pretty nice area, but you go around that as you go up the coast, you look at places like Frankston, you look at places like Carrum Downs. That's their catchment area, and that area is renowned for low socioeconomic areas. It's known for um, a level of poverty. It's known for a level of disadvantage. Now, they have to buy into that area. They don't have the benefits of being a right-in-their-inner-city team, an inner-city Melbourne team. I'm talking Collingwood, Hawthorne, Carlton, North Melbourne, Melbourne. Those teams are really reaping the commercial benefits and the benefits to having a better zone of players to pick from, they're really suffering being slightly out of Melbourne. That is that is key. That is key. The spotlight is soundly off off the St Kilda Football Club and it's not really been shining on them for a while. It's shining on the teams around the C B D and the Saints are you know, they're suffering because of that. And is it, is, it a massive, is it a massive hamstring for them to be out of Melbourne? It's not massive, but it still makes a difference, yeah? So I think they need to probably expand their zone, maybe even look at, you know, a slight change of venue, even though they've just come back from um, to Moorabbin from Seaford. But I think they've just got to make some changes when it comes to their location because it's, it's hurting them 
to that slightness, and it's really making their competition relevance really low. Um, they're not an exciting team, even though they've been, you know, not not terrible over the last decade. They really need to need to build on this, and they need to become a team that is hell bent on performance, on standards, on making a real difference. Um, and I think they need to do that, and it's really really important that they do that. Um, we look as well. We look as well at the issues on field. You know, you've got to look at on field failures. You know, they've been uh, off the mark for a number of seasons. You know, we look at that nice period as I've talked about, but other than that, mate, they are suffering. Their on field performance has been low. Their standards have been low. Their system hasn't been there. And if it has been there, it's been the wrong system. It's a system that was, in my words, probably soft. They did no accountability. Uh, no hard truths, I think, as well. And I think if it wasn't for the, the, the pioneered coaching by Ross Lyon and the the drafting of players that were very committed to the cause, Nick Raywalt, Lee Montagna, Nick Dasano, um, I think that the Saints would have been in a lot worse place. They would have been in a darker period if it wasn't for Ross and those key senior players. So, I mean, they haven't been great for a lot of years. Um and I think part of this is really poor list decisions, you know, really dumb list decisions, not smart. You know, they've opted in the last couple of years for older talent over top-end draft selections. I'm talking first, second-round draft selection. They've traded them in for older guys. You know, a couple of years ago, you saw the Saints trade for Essendon's Sean McKernan, you know, a guy on the scrap heap, a guy who's... You know, he's a, he's a guy that doesn't have the skills to drive the team forward. He was a little bit older, you know, that 27-year-old. Um, and he was, you know, a broken-down truck. You know, he just was slow. He was he didn't light the world on fire at Essendon. And, and he was at the Saints for a couple of years and then, you know, got the chop. So, I mean, it's really poor. And they gave up a, you know, a late second round, a third round for him. So that's one example of just opting for this old, dead wood talent. Then going for this, for this new... New age first round picks, you've got to go for them if the team's rebuilding, you know. And they've been okay in the last few years, um, bringing guys like Hunter Clark, um, Nick Copperfield, um, even even Max King, who I think is going to be a star uh, with the Saints. Probably looking to bring in uh, his brother Ben King from the Gold Coast in the coming years. That that for me, that's a done deal already. Um, he's going to come home, so they're going to have probably a player at both ends, um, if not playing in the same forward line. So they've got some talent now, but it comes to their culture right now. It comes to their culture. Um, and we'll, we'll look at their 2021 campaign, because in my eyes, it's a failure. You know, they didn't make the eight, and they looked pretty mediocre at times. They looked like, oh, you know, the Saints, the Saints should win this. No. Nah. You know, the Saints should get close to this top four team. No. Nah. Blowout. And did they play some okay games? Yeah, of course they did. You know, every team does. But their mediocrity was high. And, you know, off the back of a finals campaign in 2020, you know, they were they, they should have been in the 80s this year, and they weren't. So that's a failure in my eyes. Um, Brett Ratton, I think he was a guy who was sacked from the Carlton Football Club as head coach really poorly. I think he shouldn't have been left um, astray there. in a winning record and got sacked. That's just Carlton mismanagement. You know, we all know that. Carlton are an absolute... You know, bag of, bag of mixed lollies. Um, but Brett Ratton, he's a, I think he's a good coach, good communicator, 
a guy who's definitely got deep connections with his players. I think he's been around the trap enough. He's coached under Alistair Clarkson. I think he's the right guy. Um, I think he can do it. But it's going to be it's going to be a combination between coach and captain for me. Right now, they've got co-captains Jaron Geary, Jack Steele. I think Jack Steele will be the standalone captain in twenty twenty two. Jack Steele's a gun. He's a guy who's committed to the T. He's a he was a Brownlow chance this year. You know, a top ten Brownlow performer. Um, Jack Steele is heart and soul, and they were able to get him from GWS. That's another uh, really, really good pickup. And Jack Steele, he loves it. He's, a, he's the best tackler in the league. He applies pressure, but he's got a touch of class. And I'd like to see him go forward a little bit more, kick some goals. But I think he's a definite uh, ground no chance this season, and he's got to drive the standard. He's a hard worker. He oozes class, and he's a ready-made leader. Um, he's someone that was identified at a, at a young age as having leadership qualities coming out of Canberra and the Belcom Magpies. So he's someone that is really, really pivotal in the success of the Saints going forward, and he's that that new era. He's the catalyst for a new era, and I think that that partnership is positive for Saints fans. And going forward, I think it's really good. You know, and if you look at creating a culture that promotes winning, Jack Steele's the man. Brett Ratton is a guy, I think, to do this culture change, this culture shift, and ditch the Saints of old. You've got to forget him. And this is bad, you know, this sounds horrible, you know, forget your history. You've got, to, you've got to look back on it fondly, but you can't dwell on it. Because the Saints of old were terrible. They weren't good. They were perennial losers, and they didn't have much direction. So they need to forge a new path off the back of Steele, off the back of these players, off the back of, the, off the back of Max King, off the back of Hunter Clark, off the back of these guys. Off the back of even players to come in the last couple of years. Tom Highmore down back, he's a new age player. He's going to be that third tall intercepting defender. He was great. Another guy out of Canberra, that connection, Steele and Highmore. Pivotal. Got to make those connections. Really important. They're both Canberra boys, they really know it. You know, Tom Highmore comes from a, um, a school, Morris College in Canberra, an absolute footy factory. Phil Davis, Tom Green, Paddy Mills is out of there, the uh, NBA basketballer and Olympic bronze medalist out of Morris College. And right now they should have a real look at making a significant difference in the AFL World franchise, that school. And I think guys like Highmore and Steele, that, that real bond, I think, is going to be pivotal going forward. And they've got to make sure that this winning mentality is entrenched. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a hundred grand pay cut because I want to, I want to win. That's what Hawthorne did. That's what the Cats did. That's what the Pies did in those really good periods. That's what the Tigers did in recent times. Take a bit of pay cut. You know, you're well paid as it is, and go for it. You know, go for the ultimate goal and put the head down. You know, the Saints fans have had enough of these constant failures. They've had enough of not seeing any nuance and any, you know, contemporary programs and a contemporary era. They haven't seen it. And the Saints fans need to see the Saints hold the Premiership Cup in the near future or there's going to be heads rolling at the Saints and they're going to be decimated in the club. They're going to lose membership. It's going to be terrible. The Saints can do this off the back of Steele, off the back of Brett Ratton, off the back of some better management in the front office. They've got to keep investing in young talent. They've got to keep bringing in and attracting big trade targets 
Saints fans need this, and it's going to be pivotal that they really, uh, really do this. Now we're going to change course after having a look at the St. Kilda Saints, and we're going to have a look at the Rugby League, the NRL. Off the back of the Penrith Panthers winning the 2021 Grand Final over the South Sydney Rabbitohs in a really tight contest, 14-12 uh, to 12 after a Cody Walker uh, intercept pass leading to a Stephen Crichton runaway try. There's some real issues at the Penrith Panthers. I think the Penrith Panthers have a major attitude problem. And I'm talking behavioural, I'm talking in themselves, they have, they have a problem. You know, the post-match shenanigans after the grand final were, were really, really bad. They broke the province summons trophy. They were, there were some issues with sneaking people across the border. You know, really, really huge problems. My biggest issue was in the game. This was during the game, not post-game. It was Nathan Cleary, after the Cody Walker intercept pass, getting into Cody Walker, sledging him, you know, really just giving it to him. And it just was a bad look. You know, Nathan Cleary is a star player in the competition and he's mounting off. I mean, it's terrible. I mean, he, and his, his halves partner is the worst in the comp. Drone Lua is an absolute grub when it comes to that poor chat, that real just, I don't know, punk attitude. And it's terrible. They have an attitude problem. I think that the rubbing into that incident with Cleary, it's just, it, leaders don't do that. I mean, you never see Cameron Smith or Jonathan Thurston doing that. You don't see Joey Johns or, you know, someone like Darren Lockyer doing that. They put their head down and they have a certain sportsmanship and a real honour to the game to not do that stuff. You know, play the game. Jerome Law and Nathan Cleary, those sort of guys, they're just really staining their reputation by carrying on after the play, by rubbing it in, by putting the tongue out, by freaking having a by really having a having a laugh and it's really hurting the reputation of one of the better sides in the competition and and the premiership winning side in 2021. So they would need to really fix that. Um, you know, one of the key incidents was early in the season, round five, when Jerome Luai pulled a, Can- a Canberra Raiders defender into the celebrations after a Penrith Panthers try, which led to a huge uh, melee uh, on the sideline after the try. Luai showed tremendous disrespect in pulling in, I believe it was Joe Tarpany, into celebrations as if Tarpany deserved to be disrespected blatantly. And it was really, really bad. You know, Jerome Luai may be one of the worst offenders in the NRL when it comes to this after-the-play carry-on, which is against the values that the forefathers and the club greats and the NRL greats have really garnered and really developed. I also think that Jerome Luai himself, and not not, not to, you know, put him into the ground here, but, but Luai is is arrogant to me. I think he has an arrogant complex, which doesn't make much sense for a guy who hasn't played much in the NRL. He's very young. He hasn't really got that many accolades. Yes, he's debuted for New South Wales. Yes, he's won a premiership, but it's it's not that much when, it, when compared with other players. He's very young. You know, young guys need to put their head down and work hard. You know, confidence is, is fine. You know, Joey John's immortal. One of the most confident players in the world, but he doesn't carry on with this stuff. He knows better. The greats know better, and he really needs to fix it. It's a star personality defect in Luai, especially. I've seen a little bit in Brian Toto. I've seen a little bit in Stephen Crichton. I've seen a little bit in 
guys such as James Fisher Harris, even Liam Martin, has shown that kind of disrespect after the play. It needs to stop, and it's going to hurt their chances of back-to-back success, I believe. And it's staining promising talent. It's hurting promising talent. Now the most recent events have made the Panthers go from a confident team and a confident team from the exterior, from the public, from the supporters, to a team that now is more arrogant, really. You know, this is a this is a team that has an air of arrogance. It's not a team that is just just confident and really in on themselves and, and a confident team. They're, they're, they're a team moulded by lacks of respect, a, a distinct lack of respect. They need to fix this, Penrith. You know, the broken uh, Proven Summons trophy is horrible. You know, Proven just, just passed away recently. His, you know, last days was in the aftermath of this, this incident. You know, playing around with the the part of the trophy that, that holds a historic moment where Provins and Summons were actually arm in arm after after a game. They were playing with it, taking photos. It's disgustingness, I think. It's really not okay. And they need to fix this. You know, people literally give up their lives. You know, people that develop CTE in the latter part of their lives and die for things like dementia, they give their life to play rugby league at the highest level and play well and really uphold the values and the respect of sportsmanship. And this is just this is just pen attacking me, taking the metaphorical here. And I think it really needs to change. It's a punch into a, to the face of these warriors, these Tommy Redonigas. You know, people like Proven, people like Summers, people like Alfie Lane, people like Jeff Tooby. You know, those sort of guys, Ricky Stewart, Larry Daly, those legends. They play the game with a certain level of respect always. Penrith need to learn it. I think Penrith think they're a little bit too Hollywood, to be honest. They really need to change it. They need to channel their inner Melbourne storm, start showing respect, put their head down. They are to have further success. Because good teams, good cultures have a price to pay to the game to uphold the values in which it is played in. It's a blot on the game at the moment. It needs to change. Penrith, they're going to be in trouble. I think they've got major attitude problems. Huge. Now we're going to change course after a little bit of a pile on there on, Penrith, on the Penrith Panthers in the RL. We're going to have a look at some NFL action. And we're going to look at one team and one player in particular. We're going to look at the Pittsburgh Steelers who had a bit of a mixed start, two and three record, a um, little bit mixed, probably underachieved, but got a bit of a difficult month coming ahead, Bills um, in their future as well. So I think they're going to have a little bit of a hard run, but they're going okay. I want to talk about r- rookie running back Najee Harris, who's a big, aggressive, and a guy who loves making yards after contact. Those post-contact meters for for a rookie out of Alabama, Crimson Tide, a guy who is just a runner, a guy who runs downhill and takes whatever comes. You know, he could go through 15 men if it meant getting to that chain and moving it. And he's been really good this year. So just to give you just to give you a bit of a picture about his form at, at Alabama. 
he completed his full four years of eligibility and had an amazing college career. Particularly in his senior year, he rushed for over 1,400 yards and regularly ran over the top, over the top of wannabe tacklers in college. He scored 26 rushing touchdowns in just 13 games. Astonishing. He's an absolutely remarkable talent out of the backfield and one that Steelers fans would be licking their lips about. His talent was noticed by the Steelers and they decided to select him with pick 24 in the first round of the 2021 NFL Draft. Now, coming in, there was one man that probably stood in his way from getting the starting reps that he probably wanted coming into the league, coming into professional football. That was James Connor, who is now, um, before this season, being traded to the Arizona Cardinals, which gave Najee the chance to have the starting reps. But this didn't come with, with, uh, with no pressure. You know, a ton of pressure on a, on a rookie coming in, starting, getting a lot of reps, getting a lot of the ball. Um, ben Roethlisberger, probably not in his best form, is giving him, especially in week five, he is a guy who got a lot of the ball, 26 carries, over 100 yards in week five in the win over the Denver Broncos narrowly. I think he proved um, some of the prudence wrong when it came to his form because he showed that he has transferable skills from college to the professional game. Breaks through tackles and he chews up yardage. He can do this at the next level. We'll, look, we'll just look among rookies right now at Najee Harris. He's number one in carries, rushing, rushing yards, rushing TDs, receptions, and scrimmage yards. Number one. Leads all plays from the rookie position. This guy is insane at the moment. Now, 100 plus running yards is just normal for Najee. He did it all throughout his college career at Bama with him averaging over triple digits in rushing yards per game. He's got clear potential this guy can ball. Now, can he be the player that that a player like Derrick Henry is as the NFL's best back? Can he surpass Henry as the NFL's best back? I think he can. He's not as big as a Henry, he's not as big as a Ezekiel Elliott, but gee, a couple more or pre-seasons, couple more uh, camps, couple more sessions in the gym, this guy can get to that level. He's a unit. Now, the thing going forward for the Steelers, they need to pair Harris with a quarterback that complements his upside. He's a hard runner, uh, yardage at the scrimmage, that's the sort of guy. Ben Roethlisberger, I think he'll get traded at the end of the year. Form... Um, you know, weight, age, all coming up. He's probably not as fit as he used to be. Great player. I think they'll go and sign the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers. I think they'll grab him. I think he compliments Harris's game because he, Rodgers is an elite passer, one of the best in, in the game. He's a guy who can pass and is confident passing, but also can just give the ball to Najee and let him run. He doesn't have to play that feature back role that he might have to if Ben Roethlisberger goes more downhill. You know, have to be a receiving back. With Rodgers, he can just run downhill. Get the ball and shoot yardage through the guts. But I think also with Najee, if they go in a different direction with, without grabbing Rodgers and signing Rodgers, I think Najee can adapt to being a receiving tailback. 
I think if the organization goes in a different direction, he can adapt. I think he can adapt. If he can just stay at this current weight, keep mobile, he can turn into a Christian McCaffrey or he can turn into an Alvin Kamara type close to them. I think he can adapt. He's that sort of guy. You know, he's a, he's a, he was the first running back selected in the draft. This guy is the best running back in the draft as a rookie. He can do this. And he looks, you look at, look at the overall offense in Pittsburgh. Tremendous upside in the Steel City. It oozes youth. It has players that are genuine stars now. Their whole receiving core are just 25 years old. Every player is 25. Their wideouts are unbelievable. Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool are elite. They lead a young core that is playing consistency consistently, but needs to have a little bit more consistency going forward. This will make the Steelers a strong throwing team going forward, especially paired with the right quarterback. These guys can play. Chase Claypool, he could be one of the best wideouts in the league in a few years. Potential is high, and the scouting department have picked the right guys. This is a testament to Pittsburgh's scouting core that are able to, to pick guys with transferable skills, and it's not an easy task. There's plenty of guys to pick from, and you've got to make the right call based on your research, and they've got it right. Early days, but they've got it right for me. I think the right quarterback will prove to the wider NFL audience and fans that the Steelers have untapped potential for this team. They're not known historically for their offense. They've always been so good defensively. You know, those late 90s, 2000 defenses for the Steelers were amazing. But their offense can be developing if they need. But again, the Steelers' defense is great too. TJ Watt is a guy. One, probably the best defensive player in the league. Probably the best defensive player in the league, I think. He's a great linebacker. He plays on an edge. He gets after it. He's quick. He's powerful. You, you, you partner him with Cam Hayward, D-Tackle, great player as well. Those guys' leadership, the older, wiser heads, can propel these young stars to superstardom for me. These guys have leadership skills which will keep these young players in line, head down in line. Get them to be strong in, in, in rookie mini camps, strong in preseason camps, and make sure that they get the most out of themselves. You know, stay off the partying, stay off the socializing, head down, let's let's we're on a mission here. TJ Watts signed up for years. You know, richest defensive contractor in the league. This guy is here to stay and he's the leader of this team for me. You know, it's in the what blood for me. That leadership qualities are always there. And TJ Watt and Kane Haywood can lead these guys and propel them to defeats that I don't even I can't even see right now because they're so high. The ceiling for these guys isn't there. It's so high. Nachi Harris for me is the 2021-2022 Rookie of the Year pick. I think he beats New England's Mac Jones. Mac's been really impressive. I think he beats him. I think his next few games will show. I think they'll be plus 100 yards. I think he'll be able to get a few more receiving yards and really show why he's the first running back picked in the draft. I think he's my rookie of the year pick. It's a bold call because Mac Jones has been good. But 
I think he is. I think he baits Mac Jones. I think he baits Trevor Lawrence. I think he baits Zach Wilson. He's a guy. He's heavy in the lower body. He drives his legs through defenses like a knife through butter. A knife through a nice block of butter, this guy. He loves contact and he eats it. He's a big, aggressive back. And he can build his body to a level that is untackable. You know, he can, he can get to Marshawn Lynch territory. And that's a bold call. He probably doesn't even need to get that big, but he can be this aggressive back. Paired with the right quarterback, this guy can be amazing. Beware of the improving Steelers. Because I think they have Super, super Bowl wins in their near future. I really do. Right quarterback, they've got a good coach. Mike Tolman, good guy. Archie Harris, this young receiving core and a defense that's riddled with veteran talent can repel the Steelers into, into a Super Bowl chance for me. Beware of the improving Steelers guys because these, these guys can play. Najee Harris is a guy. He's a guy. Don't sleep on him. He's big, aggressive, and loves a fight. All right, guys. That's going to wrap up Sports Chat Radio for this 14th of October, guys. Reaching the end of the year here. This has been an enormous, enormous stretch of sport right now. We've got the Ashes coming up in December. NFL going strong, NRL, AFL finished, but plenty of off-season stuff happening there. We'll keep you informed. Um, going forward, I think there'll be plenty of cricket stuff. There'll be plenty of NFL stuff, plenty of sports. And this has been the radio. We've been live. Sports Chat Radio, the biggest chat in sports. All things sports presented in a witty and authentic fashion. Few laughs, few few cries. This is Sports Chat Radio. I've been Jude Henderson. You have yourself a great, great day. This has been the radio.